Hi, I'm Bonnie Curry, one of the narrators on the Abide app, a premium ad-free biblical meditation experience. Join the millions of people who download the Abide app to reduce stress, improve sleep, and experience the peace of God every day. You can text the word PEACE to 22433 for a 7-day free trial of Abide. Just text PEACE to 22433 and you'll likely hear from me again on the app as I guide you through daily meditations or help you fall asleep and experience the peace of God. You're the one who protects the flock, and that requires an eye for detail. Because when safety and well-being are on the line, it's the details that can save lives. Even when no one else is watching, you see everything. Granger gets you, and we're here for you, and all the ones who get it done with a wide range of safety products and solutions, plus board-certified safety consultants here to answer your questions. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up! Podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports, powered by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me, as always, is my partner in crime. You know him, you love him, as your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, of course, we're recording this late Thursday. The Denver Broncos finally bit the bullet and announced the signing of Brett Rippon and six other college free agents. But at the same time, they had to say goodbye to Mr. Garrett Grayson, who we talked about yesterday, as well as the wide receiver, what is it, Chad Hansen? Yeah, Chad Hansen. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked, Chad. I am absolutely blindsided that Garrett Grace is no longer part of the Broncos. We predicted that last night for today's show, and it came to fruition. They don't need five quarterbacks. They might not even need four quarterbacks. But uh, he drew the short straw, and it's uh, the least surprising news you'll read all offseason. Yeah, I mean, the irony of it is, if I'm not mistaken, Garrett Grayson was a third-round pick in 2015 by the New Orleans Saints. And the irony is that he's getting pushed off the roster by a second-round pick and an undrafted rookie in Brett Rippon. But, again, we talk about this, but just a week ago, if you would have told us, well, a little more than a week now, but if you would have told us back then that the Broncos would be going into the summer with Joe Flacco, Drew Locke, and Brett Rippon, (laughs) I mean – you, Would not have believed that. Yeah, I mean, because at the time, Brett Rip, I saw a few mocks where he was um, projected to go undrafted, but in most cases, I mean, I saw him sometimes going as early as round two, but generally somewhere between four and six. And yeah. so for the Broncos to get him undrafted is quite the coup because, as we talked about on the podcast many times, he does have some very intriguing tools that the Broncos obviously have plans to make use of, Zach. I kind of thought it would be either or going into the draft, either Drew Locke in the first round or Brett Rippon or someone else in later rounds. But to get both and to have these on the roster and to build them up as Scangarello, I mean, it's it's the perfect setup for the Broncos. Uh, give competition behind Joe Flacco while still allowing Flacco to be that understood quarterback. And that six-figure guarantee, Chad, that is strictly because the Broncos have plans for him. Someone in that front office or that 
that quarterback room stumped for Brett Rippon, and they got him now. And I'm excited to see his development. I think he could, maybe not a starter full-time, but definitely a high-end backup. And as Chase Daniels proven in this league, you need them. Yeah. I mean, he gets compared often, Rippon, that is, to Trevor Simeon by those in Broncos country. And I can understand the comparison. However, Brett Rippon is significantly more athletic and gutsy than Trevor Simeon ever was as a as a college prospect and even as a pro. So we're really excited to see how he fits in and how this quarterback, I don't know if I'd quite call it a competition. I guess the only real competition probably coming this summer is going to be between Kevin Hogan and Brett Rippon, but it will be interesting to see how it shakes out. And today, of course, we got a great show for you, VIP Mailbag. We're going to dive into your questions here in just a minute. First, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. It is the best way to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the Huddle Up podcast in real time. And then don't forget to leave your creative reviews on iTunes. Give us that five-star rating. All right, Zach, it is that time of week where we take a peek inside the Mile High Mailbag because Zach and I are your football priests, and each and every week we're here to offer you the absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions. And, of course, the VIPs, they're the lifeblood of everything that we're doing here. They sustain the site keep us going, pay for the party, so to speak. And if you have not taken the time or even checked out becoming a VIP, this is your call to action. Go to the website, milehighhuddle.com, search for the green banner. You can get your first month for a buck, or if you want to go a little bit more long-term, you can become a VIP subscriber, an annual membership, and get 30% off for new subscribers. So check that out. And what it does is it gives you access to Zach and I here on the podcast every Friday on the on the VIP mailbag. And then also you get all access to all the awesome content we produce for our VIPs on the front page from our Broncos film studies, all of our deep dive long-form content, plus our MHH Insiders VIP forum. So you're going to want to check that out. Now, next or first question, I should say, comes from Arctic Bronco, going on four months as a VIP. He says, how is the Rich Scangarello, a.k.a. Kyle Shanahan West Coast offense, different from the Kubiak West Coast offense? How do the skill sets of Joe Flacco, Drew Locke, and Brett Rippon fit in the Scangarello offense? Thanks. Um, it's funny that we got this question today, Zach, because I spent a lot of time on Thursday watching some film, some Niners film. And the biggest difference out of hand, here's what I'll say. The biggest difference between Kyle Shanahan's uh, and what Scangarello is probably going to run and Kubiak is Kubiak runs the majority of his, especially on first and second down, from under center. The quarterback's majority of the time under center unless it's the down and distance dictates shotgun or it's third down. And as opposed to the Niners with Kyle Shanahan, we'll see how it unfolds with Scangarello. You would see them often in the shotgun, even on first and second down. Sometimes you would see them in a pistol formation on first or second down. And so it kind of throws things out, you know, out of sync for the, for the defense. They're not sure what's coming in that sense. But they're running the same type of plays and the same type of blocking scheme, whether the quarterback's under center or if he's out of the shotgun. And another big difference, Zach, and then I'll serve this over to you, you answer the Flacco lock ripping question here, is that Shanahan, Kyle, loves to run a lot of pre-snap movement and forcing the defense, their eyes, to, to kind of move around. And it, it forces them to show what they're going to do pre-snap so the quarterback knows where to go with the ball once it is snapped. So those are some of the big differences if we're really boiling it down. But, Zach, how do you see the, the skill set, that being said, of a Flacco, a lock, a rip, and fitting in? Well, about the offense, I would say that it's mostly similar. There's elements of the West Coast offense in both, but I think Kubiak's scheme, the passes are a little more timing-based 
whereas Scangarello will be a little more flexible with the quarterbacks. He's going to make it his own. And what I like about Kyle Shanahan is he took Kubiak's offense and made it more modern. He evolved it. And then Scangarello even learned from that. So uh, you nailed it, Chad. They're going to have a lot of the same elements there. Uh, it's going to be very smash mouth, two tight ends, um, very heavy personnel. But it's not going to be that much different from Gary Kubiak. In terms of the short term, obviously Joe Flacco played with Gary Kubiak in Baltimore. He fits this offense to a T. It's perfect for his uh, his arm, what he likes to do down the field, using tight ends down the seam. And in the long term, Locke is Scangarello's pet project. That's why they drafted him. That's why he was the QB1 on Elway's board. They hired Scangarello for his quarterback development skills, and Locke is the biggest developmental, highest upside quarterback in this year's draft class. He should mess with Scangarello, but we obviously won't see the returns on that until 2020 when he's ready to start. Another thing I noticed watching Niners film is that they use a lot of tight end, uh, two tight end sets, I should say, in the red yeah. area. So that bodes well for what the Broncos are hoping to do in 2019 with Noah Fant, with Jeff Hireman. We'll see what shakes out with Jake Butt and Troy Fumagalli. But let me read a little clip here and let me indulge me for just a minute. I'm reading a book right now about Bill Walsh, who was the brainchild, of course, behind the West Coast offense. And here's kind of a snapshot that summarizes basically the, the core philosophies of the West Coast offense. It's just one paragraph. Quote, the offense's essential premise was that the passing game could be used for ball control even more effectively than running had been. Walsh never had fewer than three receivers in patterns on any given play, often as many as five, utilizing not only the two wide receivers and the tight end, but both running backs as well. All the patterns were coordinated so that covering one or two would always leave another one open. Much of the passing game was for less than 10 yards, and all of it designed to create mismatches or overload zones or to find and exploit the holes in coverage. Rather than just vertical, he added a horizontal dimension as well, spreading the field with crossing patterns and underneath the linebackers, forcing the defense to defend its entire width. Passes were thrown on timing as the quarterback read through a progression of options, each designed to come open in succession, and often the ball was released before the intended recipient even looked back at the quarterback. The patterns were designed to get the ball to a receiver quicker than the defense could respond and cover him. All routes were adjusted to the defensive coverage, then run to precise spots to which the quarterback threw. Close quote. Now this is from a book uh, entitled The Genius, written on Bill Walsh by David Harrison. I got to thank, of course, the great Doc Bear, who mails me football books all the time. You guys should see my my library of football books it's very edifying but that's really what it boils down to and you see a lot of the horizontal passes zach which bill walsh basically called the uh the long handoff right and it's exactly why they got Joe Flacco in the building. They they knew it was going to be some sort of transition with a new coordinator, a new scheme than what Bill Musgrave ran last year. And they wanted a guy who was going to come in and step in right away while also building his long-term succession plan behind him in Drew Locke. So in terms of that setup, Chad, it's perfect. All right, next question here comes from Impact89 going on four months as a VIP subscriber. Being that Noah Fan is a 4-5 guy, do you see him filling that burner role? I'm assuming that's why we didn't address that role in the draft. Also, who are two potential breakout candidates for this year, one on offense, one on defense? Thanks for the great draft coverage, too. Zach, your answers for Impact 89. 
I don't think he can fill the full-time burner role. I think he'll be used in that capacity sometimes, but they need a true game-breaker wide receiver, whether that can be Emmanuel Sanders, even Brendan Langley. It's not going to be no offense. So they'll have him run some nine routes. He'll be exploited down the field, uh, but he's not going to be the traditional just run routes down the field, run as fast as you can kind of guy. In terms of my breakout candidates on offense, I like Cortland Sutton this year because he's the number one, number two guy. And on defense, I like Justin Simmons and and Fangio's system. I think he had Pro Bowl potential last year, but he was held back by coaching. Uh, I think he'll thrive this year with Vic Fangio and Ed Donatel. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't say it any different. Cortland Sutton had, for a a rookie wide receiver, he had a really good season. Off the top of my head, I think it was the fourth best rookie performance for a wide receiver in Broncos history. And, you know, 700 yards is nothing to sneeze at. It's a good you know, foundation. It's a good first step for Cortland Sutton. And of course, for wide receivers, you often see them take their biggest steps forward in year two or year three. And he's getting a lot put on his plate, but he's a smart kid. He's got the acumen. He's got the football IQ. He's got the passion. And I think obviously he's got the measurables and the physical gifts that will allow him to succeed. And now he's got tremendous coaching to to tie into that. Passionate teachers who are going to help elevate what he naturally does and focus on his strengths, which is all really tied to the philosophies. Going back to this book I'm reading from Bill Walsh, it's amazing how he revolutionized the NFL and the way coaches teach and, and install and all that from technique to X's and O's. But one thing going back to the Fant idea being the burner, as Zach said, he's not going to be the burner outside the numbers, but he most definitely will be a burner inside the numbers, right? Inside the hashes, so to speak. He's that guy that can stretch the field inside, down the seam, and that's not something that Joe Flacco won't appreciate. I mean, he's a guy that absolutely is fearless thrown over the middle and down the seam. And if you go back and watch the film last year when the Broncos went on the road to play the Ravens in Baltimore, you'll see that Joe Flacco is absolutely fearless, and he likes to utilize that part of the field which is what also helps to soften up the outside, which is why Flacco was known as a passer for that deep, you know, being the guy that's that's willing to, to chuck the ball deep. He's got the arm for it. But that's one of the reasons why is because it lulls the safeties inside over time, over the course of a game, and allows those receivers on the outside eventually to have one-on-one matchups. And it's just a matter of him putting the ball farther than the, the defender and, and where the receiver can grab it. Yeah, and about the coaches scheming ways to get him open. There's no doubt that he's going to be targeted and used, seeing a lot of snaps, maybe even starting by week one. But he'll never be known as the the guy in the scouting report. They say, watch out for his speed. He's the burner. He's just not that type of player. He's going to be a good tight end for the system, a better version of Julius Thomas, but not that Tyreek Hill burner type they need still in this offense. I do agree with you, too, especially about Justin Simmons. And even though the last two years, I think I've gone on record twice now, in terms of you know pegging him as the dark horse breakout candidate, but I think on paper he makes the more the most sense for being that guy, just because of his natural gifts. I mean he was quite beleaguered and spread thin last year. The Broncos asked him to do a lot, playing every role on the back end of that defense. But just for the sake of conversation, Zach, before we move this along, another guy I'm going to throw out there as a possible breakout candidate under Vic Fangio, believe it or not, is Todd Davis. And I think just with we talked we've talked also you know the last couple shows about the Fangio bump. I think Davis is going just watching some of his film even today. I was I marvel at, at how good he is even with the coaching he's had the last couple of years at shedding blocks and getting after the ball. There's no question first and second down he's a maven right. He's one of the best run defending inside linebackers in the NFL. 
It's what's going to happen on third down and who's going to be that linebacker that stays on the field in third down and passing situations where they drop a safety down to the dimebacker role. There's always going to be that one, shouldn't say always, most of the time there's going to be that one linebacker that stays on the field. And traditionally that was Brandon Marshall, Zach. And I wonder if it's going to be Todd Davis, probably not. Maybe it's going to be Josie Jewell this time. What's funny is when you were talking, I was thinking of an off-ball linebacker, and I was thinking of Jewel as a potential breakout candidate, only because of how Fangio talked him up. Fangio admitted that he looked at his film last year coming out of college. He's familiar with him. He had a player like his in San Francisco by Chris Borland. That was his name, very similar player. Uh, you want to talk about a, a deep, dark horse breakout guy? We talked about him last night. That's Demarcus Walker. I mean, I want to see what he can do in the system. I mean, that's a super, super, super dark, dark horse. But if we're naming potential breakout candidates, he was a second-round pick. He can get after the quarterback, and he has much better coaching now. So if we're getting really deep in the trenches here, I want to see Demarcus Walker. All right, we still have a lot to get to here in the mailbag. First, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, Zach, let's get to the first of three questions here from our friend BroncoGuy65 going on seven months as a VIP subscriber, and it could be five questions, and we'll answer them. That's what the VIP mailbag is for. Zach and I are here for the VIPs to answer your questions. And the first one here, Zach, now that the Broncos have Drew Locke and Joe Flacco on the roster, what is the best-case scenario for the transition from Flacco to Locke? In a perfect world, how long would the Broncos want Locke to sit and learn? Off the cuff, your answer for Bronco Guy 65 well, apparently Elway wants that Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre plan, and that would suggest that Flacco's here for at least a couple years. So in that best case scenario, he stays healthy, Flacco, they win with him, he's comfortable, and Locke has enough time to learn. But in a bare minimum best case scenario, Locke cannot see the field this season in 2019. He's still one year away. They're high on Flacco. He's not ready to play just yet. So barring any injury or ineffectiveness, Locke will not be on the field, and that's the minimum. He needs one year on the bench this season to learn, to learn under Scangarello, and then he'll be ready to play, but not until then. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a two-year window. I think the Broncos, even though Flacco's under contract for three, which matches up with what Elway has left on his deal, I think the Broncos want that last year that Elway's under contract. They want to be able to unveil Drew Locke. And that's in a perfect world. So Locke's going to get two years to marinate and incubate behind Joe Flacco. And that's, of course, barring injury. You know, the injury bug is no respecter of persons. It can strike at any time. And even though Flacco has mostly stayed healthy, I mean, as in his 11 years as a pro, really there's only two injuries that have caused him to miss any time. One was a torn ACL. And the other was that hip injury, which actually last season only cost him one game. All it took was one game of him not being available to play and start. And Lamar Jackson was able to kick the door down. So I think that Locke, there's a chance he sees the field in 2019, but only as a result of injury. The Broncos are going to ride or die with Flacco for sure in 2019, Zach. But I think they're, they're looking at this as kind of a two-year window because for Elway, who's going to be going into a, a contract year himself in 2021, I think he's going to want to be able to roll out the young kid and see how he looks and use that potentially as a feather in the cap, as leverage in terms of what he's going to face. We'll see. I mean, I think he's going to want to stick around. We'll see if Elway wants to continue in his front office role. But it would be a nice bargaining chip to be able to say, hey, look, you know, I drafted this quarterback a couple years back. You know, we have been developing him all along. Now I just got my first year of him, you know, being able to roll him out as a starter. I need more time type, type situation. 
I think Paxton Lynch traumatized Elway so badly where he will not throw another quarterback into the fire that early. Yeah, I just think Locke, barring injury like we talked about, the only way he's going to see the field is if one of those two things happen. He needs at least, at least one year on the bench, preferably two. That's best case scenario. So don't look for Locke to be starting on the field in an ideal situation until 2020 at the earliest. Next one here from Bronco Guy. The Broncos still seem thin at linebacker. Who do you project as the starter for each linebacker position? And do you think they will add more depth before the start of the season? So obviously, Zach, it's going to be Todd Davis and Josie Jewell are the projected starters. And behind them, you know, it's it's a bunch of question marks from Joseph Jones to Alexander Johnson to Keyshawn Bieria to Joe Deneen and uh, the Colorado State kid, Josh Watson, I think his name is. So there are some options there. I think my answer off the cuff for Bronco guy is they're going to see how it looks in training camp, keep an eye on the wire, see if anything pops loose. Yeah, I think they're done for now, though. I mean, Zach Brown's still out there, I believe, and that'd be a perfect addition for the Broncos. And if they don't want to sign anyone now or trade for anyone or even draft an inside linebacker, it says to me that Fangio's pretty confident in the group that he has. I think he'll make chicken salad out of some of the younger players, like you mentioned, Chad. Maybe Deneen, they gave him a pretty big signing bonus. Inside linebacker, it's not going to be the prettiest position, not the sexiest position for Denver. But if your worst players in that defense, your worst starters are Todd Davis and Josie Jewell, it's not too terrible. Next question comes from Bronco Gig 95 going on 27 months as a VIP subscriber. His question, just wondering why there was such a priority placed on Brett Rippon, and does it say something about Denver's commitment to Drew Locke? Zach? I think it says something about the Broncos' commitment to find a quarterback, any type of young quarterback to build around. I mean, I don't. I, Locke was their QB1. He's going to be the long-term guy. He's going to be the number two guy this year. Rippon's not on that level yet, but they definitely wanted him. They definitely have plans for him, and they're definitely tired of having no uh, long-term hope at the most important position in all of sports. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Why did the Broncos play so fast and loose with Drew Locke? They had three Really, if you count it, pick 10, pick 20, and pick 41. Three previous opportunities to take Drew Locke, in which they, in one case, traded back, and another took Noah Fanton, and then the other took Dalton Reisner. Why was that? Why were they so willing when they ultimately ended up trading up to grab Locke? Why were they so willing to roll the dice? The answer is the Broncos are absolutely confident, supremely confident, in Joe Flacco. So for the present, Joe Flacco is absolutely their guy. However, as Zach said, Drew Locke is QB1 in this class to them. And so they considered it a coup amongst coups to be able to get him at pick 42 in the second round. He is their future franchise guy. Now, here's the thing, though. All bets are off when it comes to competition and how it can change the game and raise all ships. And a good example of that, though it's not exactly a match for what's going on or synonymous to the Broncos situation, is what happened in 2012 after the Seattle Seahawks paid all that money to Matt Flynn on the heels of his six-touchdown passing touchdown game to close out the Green Bay Packers season, their regular season, when it was they were resting their starters for the playoffs, and so they rolled out Mount Flynn, and he threw down six touchdowns and then hit free agency, basically, right? They pay him all this money and then draft Russell Wilson as kind of a flyer in the third round. And Russell Wilson came in. The plan, obviously, was Matt Flynn. But in came Wilson. All bets were off. He utterly and absolutely destroyed Flint in a, in a competition. And, they, and the Seahawks hadn't even set that up 
to be a competition. It was just so clear in practice, and then it was so clear in the preseason games themselves that they could not look this gift horse in the mouth. It was just absolutely perfectly obvious to them. He opened the season, Russell Wilson, as the starting quarterback. Now, in the case of what the Broncos are doing, the way that relates to us and what we're talking about here is you never know what's going to happen and how a a quarterback competition can shake out if a team is being 100% open to every and all possibilities. However, I don't think the Broncos, Zach, are one of those type of teams. They're going to you know, grease the wheels a little bit for their second round pick. Brett Rippon's going to have to go even more above and beyond if he had any hope of actually vanquishing him or leapfrogging Drew Locke on the death chart. Yeah, Elway came out right away after the draft and said, Joe's a starter and Locke is competing for the backup job with Hogan and Rippon and at the time, Garrett Greason. They're not going to create any sort of controversy. They're all in on Joe Flacco in 2019, but all bets are off in 2020. They want to get Locke ready until that point. It doesn't say the Rippon pickup more about Locke, as it says about Elway and actually his failures in the past, just to find a young-term quarterback and to hold on to him. All right, last question here. It's actually more of a comment, not really much of a question, but we'll we'll riff off of it. It comes from Burke2105, going on two months as a VIP subscriber. Burke says, thanks for the great work y'all did on the draft, guys. Really appreciate it. We appreciate you, Burke, but uh, the majority of the glory there goes to Eric Trickle and Nick Kendall and those guys. Burke says, saw today that football outsiders are predicting the Broncos to have the third overall pick in the draft next year. Seems a bit harsh. People point to their tough schedule, but the Broncos had a tough schedule last year and still managed to remain competitive against some pretty good teams. They made some clear upgrades to the coaching staff and added some quality free agents, so I don't believe that this team will be worse than 29 other teams in the league. I'm not expecting the team to make the playoffs, but I am expecting another year of competitive football. That's from Burke 2105. And I think he's there's some truth to what he's saying there. I think that's ridiculous for football outsiders to come out and put the Broncos as third overall pick in the 2020 draft because he's exactly right. Think about as is even though six and ten, okay, we understand that's way below the standard for the Denver Broncos. It could have been so much worse, and at the same time, it could have been so much better. Think of all those close games. I mean, they lost by a single score to the Kansas City Chiefs twice. They lost by a single score, Zach, to the L.A. Rams. And this is a team that very easily, you know, if, if the coin flips one way or another, could have been 9-7. and seven. So, for and again, the way the schedules shake out at the beginning of a year, it's all on paper. The NFL is one of the reasons it's such a wildly popular and compelling league, Zach, in pro sports is because of the parity and the way teams rise and fall from year to year. And so as tough as that schedule looks on paper today, some of those teams who are projected to be tough opponents in May, they're going to lose some of their luster. They're going to underperform. And by the time the Broncos draw them on the schedule, they're not going to be as tough. And, And the Reverse and opposite, you know, goes in. For example, you know, I think we play the, the the Broncos play the Detroit Lions this year. Who knows? Maybe they're one of those teams that comes storming out of the gates as a dark horse, turn the ship around. Suddenly, a team you thought was a, a W on the schedule, you're fighting for your life. Let me just let everyone in on a secret about the national media. They don't know the Broncos like we know the Broncos, Chad, or the Broncos fans, or anyone in the Broncos country in the realm of the Broncos universe. They don't follow them like we do. They see a team that hasn't made the playoffs since 2015 with a rookie head coach, a 34-year-old quarterback in Joe Flacco, and a team with a lot of questions to answer led by a guy in Elway who's had more questions than answers to this point. So 
that's going to be the perception. That is always going to be until they prove otherwise. They're going to be pretenders until they can prove they can be contenders. And that's just how it works in this business. With that being said, though, by virtue of coaching alone, they should be better than they did last year, than they were with Vance Joseph. I think 7-9, 8-8 is very reasonable as long as they show progression and growth and hope. I don't think the third overall draft pick is going to be realistic, nor is a Super Bowl title. They're going to be somewhere in the middle there, but they are on the upswing. They've made tremendous moves this offseason, and it's all going to be ignored. That's what the national media does. They don't dig deep into the Broncos. They look at the surface. And if you did also, if you put them yourselves in their shoes, you'd see a team you don't have much confidence in. So I understand uh, Football Outsiders projections and all these offseason fluff pieces right now. We have to wait until September. But I am confident in saying they're going to be a lot better than they were last year and a lot better than having another top 10 draft pick. Very well said. Very well said. Well, that's going to do it for today's mailbag. There's one other topic I wanted to talk about, though, Zach, before we got out of here. And it's something that, you know, for whatever reason, we got the conference call quotes from Jawan Winfrey, Denver's 2019 six-round pick, the wide receiver whom the Broncos traded up, giving up their seventh-round pick to move up in the sixth round and grab him. So he ended up being their final pick in the draft, and he was on a conference call. I was going through the quotes. I didn't look at this immediately after the draft. I should have, but it's been sitting there. Everyone's wondering why the Broncos you know, pulled, maneuvered the way they did to get Jawan Winfrey. But reading through the quotes, now it's it's clearly evident. He had a coach pounding the table, and a pro bowler player pounding the table. He talked about how the when the Broncos held that local pro day and you had CSU players, Colorado players, you had Northern Colorado players coming down and you know plying their wares for the Broncos, he was able to connect with Zach Azani, the wide receivers coach in Denver, who apparently pounded the table for him. And this goes to show, again, we've seen John Elway listen to his position coaches in the draft in years past, and it sounds like, Zach, this is another situation in which he listened to the advice of Zach Azani, who so far has been nearly a miracle worker in what he's done for the Broncos wide receivers. Only one year. We'll see if he can duplicate it. But also Philip Lindsay, former Colorado Buffalo himself, apparently, as Winfrey said, put in a good word for him. I believe Lindsay and Winfrey share an agent, so that could be why. But it's encouraging. I like to see the camaraderie being built. And Azani, I do lean on his expertise. He did do well with the Broncos last year. I wasn't crazy about the Winfrey pick. I'm still not. It was by far the worst pick of the Broncos draft. But I'm willing to let it play out. He can turn into that that explosive uh, receiver. Not any type of burner, but just a consistent receiver in this offense. And obviously, the scouts and the front office and Elway and Azani saw something in him. They moved up for him. They traded away a pick for him. Um, We've got to give the, the, the people who know the benefit of the doubt. I just have a ton of respect for Zach Azani. Not just because of the results that he got out of that young receiving core last year. But just that that little anecdote we got from Emmanuel Sanders last summer that when his new position coach, he was used to Tyke Tolbert, right? Tyke Tolbert was a veteran. He had coached pro bowlers. Broncos dispatched him, Tolbert, ahead of the 2018 season, along with running backs coach Eric Studisville and a few other assistants. And in came Zach Azani, of course, along with Curtis Modkins, who went on to coach the, the running backs, who also got great results. But Azani, he's the kind of the new sheriff and just like most situations, the players are testing their boundaries with their new position coach. And so Emmanuel Sanders being the multi-Pro Bowl guy, I've got all these thousand-yard seasons under my belt, you know, making all this money, he's not exactly paying, giving his full attention to everything his new young position coach is telling him. And finally, you know, they, they end up having to butt heads over this, and Azani just said to him, look, 
you know you can get better, right? And it took that question, just being blunt and direct and assertive, for him to realize that, hey, I don't know everything. What do I have to lose? And it turned out to be, you know, basically manna from heaven because Emmanuel Sanders was on pace to have one of his best career seasons before the injury bug, Zach, jumped up and bit him in the in the Achilles. And that's with Case Keenum as your starting quarterback. Yep. So only imagine what he's capable of. It was funny when the Broncos hired Azani, I hadn't heard of him, so I looked into him. And he had one year in Chicago on his resume. And I was like, what is this hire? Who is this guy? Right. But he really, really proved me wrong, Chad. I mean, he came in and whipped that entire unit into shape, dealing with injuries and trades and, and depth chart realignments. He really was one of the better coaches last year in a pretty awful season. So if he thinks he can get something out of Winfrey, I'm willing to let him you know, explore that chance. The last thing I'll say about Winfrey, then we'll get out of here, is uh, like you, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt knowing that Zach Azani sees something in him. But I think the biggest issue he's going to have is the injury bug. I mean, it's hard. You can go on YouTube right now and try and find some cut-ups and highlights or film on him, and it's next to nil because his availability was so hit and miss. You know, he just had a hard time staying healthy and, and staying on the field. So if he can stay healthy at the next level and the pro uh, you know, medical staff, training staff can put him on a good plan and, take, and he can take care of his body like a pro, who knows? I still think, just as I put in the article published on Thursday, though, that he's probably headed for the practice squad as a rookie, and circle 2020 is the year that he really tries to make a play for the 53. I mean, well, the good thing is they don't need him right away. I mean, they can afford him that time to learn and to grow and develop. They have a bunch of receivers on the roster ahead of him already. So in that sense, I mean, to get him in the sixth round and develop him is a lot better than getting him in the second round and not playing him at all. Amen. But that's going to do it, you guys, for today's episode of the Huddle Up podcast. Don't forget to leave your creative review and rate the show on iTunes. Follow the show on Twitter at HuddleUpPod. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad and Jensen. Stay tuned. Whatever you got cooking on Saturday, you're going to have a fresh Building the Broncos episode waiting for you. Um, I'm sure it's going to be draft-related in terms of breaking down the new rookies that are flooding the roster, so stay tuned for that. Thanks for everybody's support. Thanks for everybody listening throughout the week. We'll see you on the other side of this weekend. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. Talk to you then. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.